You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey guys, this is Rick Hadrava and you're listening to another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. So glad you're checking out our show and you know, be sure to check out the website, epicsbiz.com forward slash forward slash podcast. You can catch this episode right here with the show notes along with other episodes. And be sure to check out the website, epicsbiz.com for resources, the freedom formula and much more. You know, I was recently... Um, thinking about the fact that we're coming towards the holiday season. There's a good chance that by the time this episode airs, we'll already have an election behind us. And, you know, I I think we're all looking forward to turning the page and moving forward. But with that said, you know, there's always questions. And from a tax perspective, while I don't give tax advice, the interesting thing is I surround myself with what I think are really smart people that are passionate about the things that I need to know as I'm thinking about business opportunities, as I'm thinking about how I could be better structuring some of the things we're doing. And so today's guest, Chuck Rahill from Waddell Rahill and Associates CPAs, he's one of those guys. I'll I'll call him periodically just to say, hey, Chuck, I'm thinking about this. Tell me what you think. And sometimes he's very supportive from a standpoint of seeing where I'm taking things. And other times he kind of interjects very nicely uh, to say, well, we, we, we probably don't want to do that. That's not going to be as beneficial as you think. And I think as a business owner, successful entrepreneurs, that is, they surround themselves with these kind of people from legal perspectives, from tax perspectives, and from business perspectives in general. And so, I'm very happy to bring back to the studio uh, Chuck Rahill for this episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. Chuck, thanks so much for taking time to again join us on this show. I know you've just wrapped up the October 15 deadline has passed. What's going on with your firm? Tell us a little about about what your firm does and what you guys are up to these days. October 15th just ended. It was our last major deadline of what seemed like was a literally an eight month tax season. I mean, we, we never really slowed down the deadlines, you know, by moving that April deadline to July, we had three major deadlines in a 120 day period. And just to meet those responsibilities, it's just been, it's been, it's been, I've, I've told people it's been the hardest professional year of my life. And that being said, I say that with gratitude because all through this time, we've been working with our clients, actively engaged to keep them in business, make sure that we assisted them in applying for their PPP loans, which was what we talked about in our first podcast, making sure that our clients were doing the right things with employees, taking advantage of all the things that the government had provided during this, during 2020. And um, it's, it's been, it's been quite a long year. And uh, I've I've got a fantastic team with El Ray Hill and Associates uh, here in Oklahoma City. We have 22 uh, employees. Um, We're a tax consulting firm primarily. We also do returns and, and I'm not going to kid you, but what separates us is the proactive approach. We're always looking forward. Uh, We're easy to access. We are uh, very engaged with our clients, and uh, we we want to make sure that we're on the front end of your decisions. 
and, and putting you in the right place. So that's who we are. Um, uh, I've got a fantastic firm full of fantastic professionals and they have performed admirably because we've been working 50, 55 hour weeks, literally all year long. Absolutely. Well, let's go back to the PPP for, for a moment because that we did have you on when we did our special series of podcasts talking about different things and where are we right now with the PPP programs? Because there's a lot of noise still. We don't know, you know, are, are certain sizes going to be forgiven? What's the process to, to go through here? So give us a little bit of color. And I know I think we still have some unanswered things, but based on what you, what you know, what can you share with the audience? Well, what primarily has happened is that the SBA has come out with a form a simplified form for all loans under $50,000. All right. It's a, it's a very simple form to complete where you can go apply for forgiveness. We're heading into the second half of October. Second half of October is when the 24 weeks is expiring for many loans that happened back in late April, early May when they first opened up. So we've got the 24 week period expiring. The SBA released a 50,000 and under application process that I think it's the 3805F that you can start submitting to your borrower or your lender at, for them to go apply for your forgiveness. There is immediately pushback. That form changed twice in three days. So as much as I'd like to tell you the rules were settled, they're not. They're still open-ended question. There was immediately a pushback that said, where do we stand in the current proposal in front of Congress that all loans under $150,000 will be blanket forgiven, which would require very little effort on the borrower's part to apply for forgiveness. They still haven't answered that. There are a number of open questions with regard to FTEs. They did come out in early October, simplifying rules for subchapter S owners, so simplifying rules for pass-through entity owners, sole proprietorships, et cetera, but they still haven't concluded. If you haven't noticed, Congress is primarily focused on November 3rd. I do expect there to be rules that come in the first time they convene after the election, which could be January. So it's not odd for Congress to come out with rules that are retroactive to the beginning of the prior year. We've had tax legislation passed in January of 1994 that was retroactive in January of 1993. Uh, we have another issue with regard to what the Internal Revenue Service has said about these loans. The loans were originally presented by Congress as they were a loan that converted to a non-taxable grant. The Internal Revenue Service came out in the summer and they issued a revenue ruling that said, any expenses paid for with these loan proceeds would not be deductible. And to me, there's no difference between a loan becoming non-taxable and the denial of a deduction or a taxable loan and not. So I don't think the IRS rule follows what Congress's intent was. So we as CPAs now, right now, we have to play in the situation we're in. We've got year-end projections coming up. We have taxable income issues that we, we obviously want to reduce by all legal means necessary before the end of the year. And we're sitting here looking at, you know, the possibility that some of our clients, which, which many of our clients took loans of a million dollars and more on their businesses, that where does that stand? So there, there's the IRS rule, which goes against what the way that it was, it was promoted to the public by Congress. The IRS rules are in conflict. There's a proposal in front of Congress for that not to apply. But Congress, again, is focused on the election. So there's three ways for CPAs to handle this right now. One is, is that you consider the fact that the loan is essentially taxable. You can't deduct any expenses related to the loan. So that means the loan proceeds would be taxable income to the taxpayer in 2020. 
So that's the first rule. The second rule is, is you follow congressional intent and you have some risk there because the IRS has, they have essentially notified you, this is how we're going to treat it. Congressional intent is the loan's not taxable, deduct the expenses when you look at your year in projection. The third one is, and this is going to come up in compliance if we don't have any rules, that the common and the most safe way to do it is to follow, if nobody makes any comment and the IRS rule stands, the third way is you file the return, disallow the expenses, then immediately amend the return and include the expenses, and that way you're protected. You've paid your tax, you've paid the taxes if the loan were taxable, and you've contemporaneously filed an amendment to get those benefits back. Because I got to so, think, Chuck, if you did it the second way and that comes back and that's not the way, then you could open yourself up to penalties. Is that the, the big concern? It could. You could open yourself up to penalties and interest if they review it and they find it against you. Remember, they've got a roadmap on who got loans. Right. And at some point, you got to get that loan off the books. So there's only one way to take a loan off the books, and that's to take essentially an income or a credit to your income statement. And the only way to get rid of that from being income is to run it through some book to tax adjustment. I mean, there's just there's going to be a path for the IRS to follow to see who did and did not. And so you do expose yourself to penalties and interest. But I believe that if you follow congressional intent, you've got a pers- you've got a means to at least get penalties abated because because there have been a number of tax laws that have come out that go directly against congressional intent. In, in history, not recently, but in history. Right. So you, you can make that petition. I just, you know, we're, I'm hopeful the rules will settle before we get to the end of the year. But what we're doing for our clients, we're giving them two numbers. If the loan were taxable, if the loan isn't taxable. And we're just going to make sure that they're safe under both scenarios and let them know what the exposure is under both scenarios. Well, and that begs a question. Actually, two questions. My first question is, so if you're going under the scenario where it's taxable, you advising them to put back a little bit more for potential uh, tax payments then? Escrow the money. Yeah. yeah. And just be prepared that it could happen. So, so if you are, if you have that PPP program and you've taken that loan under 50,000 and you're coming up on the 24 weeks, what do you do? I mean, do you go ahead and file the paperwork or, or do you wait and see? Well, you have a time period after your 24 weeks expires. I think you have six to eight months to go and file for that forgiveness. So, you know, I would tell people you want to get on the front end of the queue. I mean, so, so you want to get it in there. The thing is, is that right now, if you have a loan under $150,000, I wouldn't press the matter because it may just be a wasted effort on your part. Your bank may not do anything with it. I mean, we've submitted a number of forgiveness applications and only one has even been submitted for forgiveness. Hmm. And I mean, and, and it's, it's one of those deals where, where even the banks are working in some at a, at a point of chaos. Now they know what the rules are now, but you've got to figure the banks are being overloaded with this because they have all these processors processing these forgiveness applications and firing them forward, which may not get any response from the SBA. So we have no clarity. And that's why <laughs> I work with, I mean, I email and call my congressman and I tell them we need clarity. I mean, your, your, your borrowers need clarity. This has been a great deal for the borrowers during a very tef- difficult year, but you're turning it into a nightmare for them. You're, you're, in other words, you're keeping the wound open. Right. We need some closure on this. We can work around whatever they decide, but we just need some clarity because it's hard for 
to talk to a consultant client and say, well, exactly what I said here. It might be taxable. It might not. I don't make the rules, you know? So I hope that there's some clarity that comes out because Congress really does need to address things. This, this election has taken up way too much of our time. It, it really has. And just all the different things we're being told and everything, it's taken up way too much of our time. Yeah. Well, and, and we're not getting to the important stuff, the important stuff. And, and that we hope that changes um, because a little bit of clarity, I think, is what the world needs. It's what we need. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the call because I, I get questions all the time um, on this stuff. Well, let, so let's look out into the future because here we're at the last part of the year. It's coming quick. As we know, we get in, you know, once we get into the holidays, man, it's, we're here. Right. And mm-hmm. so the potential for some tax changes coming in and not to be political because I, I, I want to stay away from all that. But what I, what I think is prudent is to look out, look where we are, look into the future. What's the potential for tax changes? And the two questions that come to my mind is what should we be thinking as business owners at, at, as we get into the end of the year? And then what should we be thinking as we get into 2021 based on the potential information that, that we know? Well, to to figure out kind of where we're headed, you've got to go backwards. First of all, just to tell you the concept of taxation, it's important that, and historically, the Republicans have always compressed tax rates, all right? They brought the higher rates down, they brought the lower rates, and kind of left them the same or brought them up a little bit, removed credits, et cetera. And the, the Democrats have historically expanded them. They've pushed up and pushed down, okay? We have to have that happen over a long period of time, because you have to keep the government funded to do what the government needs to do. But you have to have enough wealth retained by private society to invest, to continue to push our economy forward. If you haven't noticed, it's worked. Yeah. All right. It really has. You can't, you, you, you can't let tax rates stay too low or you have an underfunded government that can't do for its people that can't some instances do for themselves. But you can't have tax rates too high because no one ever gets wealthy but the government. All right? So you have to have those things change. Now, where we're at is we are in the midst of the biggest tax decrease that we may ever see again. What, what, what the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017 is a significant tax cut. Well, you would imagine with this that it's going to be followed by a significant tax increase. All right. It has to happen. So it's just when. So what I've seen with taxation is that that right now we have some very low tax rates. Now, if you look at the two candidates, I'm not 100 percent sure that we can hold on to these Tax Cuts and Jobs Act rates, even if Trump gets reelected. Right. So I'm not sure that we can keep tax rates this low, even if he gets another four years in the presidency, because we're going to have a 50 trillion dollar anchor. Yeah. to try to shed somehow. Good all point. Right? Good point. Yeah. And, and I mean, they're, they're, we're going to be $50 trillion into this by this time next year, easily. We, we haven't even seen the effects of this on the economy yet. Then you've got the other plan, which is the Biden plan. So do I think that the Trump cut extend through his, a four-year re-election term? I don't. I think he's going to have to abandon some of them. I think that if Biden gets elected, yeah, I mean, we're going way up. He has talked about you know, increasing employment taxes on anyone who makes more than $400,000. He's talked about raising and eliminating the capital gains, preferred capital gains tax, which means capital gains, which have historically been at right now, approximately 50% 
of the highest ordinary income tax rate. He's saying, I'm getting rid of that. He's talking about a, a uh, um, you know, going back to the 39.6% rate, but don't be so focused on the rate. What's happened over the last two years or four years is it's not just the rate, but they've also changed the way we calculate taxable income. So in other words, we've removed deductions. So even though you got the lower rate, you were paying tax on more income. And I think there are going to be a number of different things that come into that. So you might think, well, you know, I'm just going back to what the Obama rate was, which is what he's proposed, 39.6. But what he does and what the Biden plan does to individuals making more than $400,000, making more than a million, and ultimately making more than 10 million, you're talking about an effective tax rate that could approach 60 to 65%. So it could be a very egregious tax increase. So, I mean, those are the two plans we're looking at. So what are we looking at? Well, November 3rd is a huge day. The problem is, is that November 3rd, we only have 58 days to make any plan. Well, you've probably heard this, is that I can't tell you how many times I've heard the question, now that the Biden tax plan has been thrown out there, how many people want to liquidate their portfolios? And they want to take advantage of the capital gain rates while they still have them. We're in a position where if you're looking at an income tax increase for some people that may go from a maximum rate of 29.6 to 62%, we may have to rework the way we think things into accelerating income and deferring deductions where normally we operate in the opposite. We defer income to next year and we accelerate deductions into this year. We may actually be in a place where you're like, I, I may want to make a change in accounting method. I may want to change to be an accrual basis and pull all these receivables into income while I get that 29.6% rate as opposed to possibly collecting those next year and paying it 62%. Makes sense. So, I mean, that's a significant difference. So yeah, we're, we're sitting here watching everybody talk about the tax plans. We're answering a lot of questions, but just like the PPP mm -hmm. loans and a lot of things that have happened in 2020, we're like, don't know yet. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we don't really know. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting, Chuck, because you are seeing capital gains conversations take place and it's just not the equity markets. It's in real estate. It's in businesses, right? Like some people have gone and put their businesses up for sale this year because they, they, they just feel like they're, they don't want to mess with it and they take advantage of what they know now and, and versus dealing with it in the future. And so we're seeing a lot of that. So here's my question. It, is that overkill? Should we be thinking about these things? What are the things right now as business owners that we ought to be looking at on our books and considering between now and the end of the year? I think that for now, we need to operate within the rules we're in. We know the rules that we have through the end of the year. We know those. Uh, anything that comes up wouldn't happen until the earliest February of 2021 for the 2021 tax year. I think that right now, you go with what you know, all right? I wish, you know, I, I mean, you know, depending upon what news channel you follow, you don't know who really is going to win the election, all right? I think that there are some people that have drawn a conclusion as to who's going to win it on both sides, but reality is, is we don't know. I think you need to have a plan of action. I think that you need to get with your advisor and your professional, and you need to ask them, what are my options? And that's what we do actively all year long, but especially from October 15th to December 31st, we're constantly in front of our clients and talking to them about things that they need to be considering. We'll be a lot better November 4th if we knew who the president was going to be on November 4th, because I'm not sure we will. Right. So 
I, I mean, I, I mean, so, so really where we are is we're telling our clients and consulting them the same way that we have each year. Now, with regard to the capital gains thing, like I said, I've had a number of questions about the liquidation of the portfolio. Historically, capital gains, changes in capital gain rates have been on a prospective basis, okay? So in other words, when they changed capital gain rates, when they brought it in, they put a caveat in there and said, anything that happened prior to this date is at the old rate, anything after this is at the new rate, okay? And, and also, I want you to focus on this too, is don't be so focused on the presidency that you aren't watching what's happening in Congress, because Congress is really where tax law comes from. So you've got the House Ways and Means, they put the tax package together, they kick it to the Senate. If the Senate flips and the House stays consistent, you've got a unified Congress. So anything the House wants to do, it's going to pass through the Senate, all right? So be focused on the congressional elections more than focusing on the um, uh, more than focusing on the presidency. One of the other things I would look at is this: is I believe I heard the statistic that ninety people, ninety people across the country are running for congressional seats that have never absolutely held down a job in their life. Think about that. How I mean, did we? How did we get here? Life, they yeah. have not held down a job. And I, I think it was it was something they're under 45. They have either been, you know, at home, they've been self-employed, but they've never worked for somebody. And now they are running for a public office. And, and that concerns me because they don't think like business owners. And that's the one thing that I will tell you, as many downfalls as this guy has, Trump was a business owner. He was like, he was like a lot of us. And he was a business owner and, and a lot of his tax package, which really steered towards real estate business owners for some unknown reason, um, th that he had, he, he had um, a number of things and he thought like a business owner. So he was big into investment. And, and now we've seen it. I've seen it in my client's tax returns. I've seen their tax taxes have dropped. So, so focus on the congressional side because the Congress is the one who's really going to come up with this tax law. Sure. So when we ask about the liquidation of portfolios, we have that cutoff date. And most times when it's been passed and there's been a rate change, it's been on prospective basis. All sales after this date have been at this rate. All sales prior to this date have been at the old rate. That's the first thing. So if he comes in and Biden wins the presidency and he steps in and the Congress splits and they come up with a tax package and they pass it in May of 19 of 2021, you could see them say all gains prior to this date are at the old rate. All gains subsequent to this date are at the new rate. Okay. So I can see that. To answer your question about entrepreneurs, I've done seven, I'm in the midst of seven transactions. I've completed two. I've got five more going on. I've got a number of business owners that are selling or buying. And the reason is, is partially because I think there are a lot of business owners that with all the, all the craziness and chaos of 2020, they simply just went out. Right. Right. They just want out. They don't want to own businesses anymore. Yeah. I mean, we have been, you know, you know, I, I use this and I, I you, if you knew me, I'm a political question mark because I lean right and I lean left. I, I, that's, I mean, I, I have, it depends on the issue. And, and what I've always said is, is that if we continue to play this hard left, hard right in politics, if, if I'm an NFL running back and all I do is cut hard left, hard right, constantly. What's going to happen? I'm going to blow my ACL. It's just going to go away. That's where we are, I think. And that's where I think business owners are, is that we've had to shift every four to eight years. 
And we had to change the way we do things to fit within whatever political ideology has taken over that I think business owners are just getting tired of it. I mean, I've yeah. gotten tired of it as a business owner. So right. I, as a business owner, I look at it and I'm like, I have no idea what a change looks like. So, well, it's a good, good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the questions I want to ask you kind of flip it around a little bit. I, I recently read something that showed that business filings, new business filings had skyrocketed this year. And I know you've helped us do some formation on, on some different entities and things. Are you seeing that in Oklahoma? Do we have new businesses that are emerging uh, through all this chaos? We do, because I think that there are a number of talented individuals that, for whatever reason, used to work as exclusively as employees that are now, they've either been cut loose, they've been furloughed, their income has been dropped, their benefits have been cut, and they're talented individuals that are saying, I, I can start my own business. So I have seen uh, not really an increase because our client base is pretty dynamic and they're constantly opening new businesses that um, I've seen it about par, but I... I have had a number of clients, a new people that have emailed or called me and have said, can you help me start a new business? I've worked for so-and-so for a long time. And now I'm thinking about just going out on my own and doing it. So it wouldn't surprise me that new business filings are going up there because I think employees are getting tired of it too. You know, a lot of businesses had to make some very difficult decisions with regards to people this year. I mean, yeah. they were taking very valuable long-term employees and furloughing them. Because right. their income was literally shattered. Um, and I'm talking nationwide. You know, here in Oklahoma, we get a little bit insulated. But we, we fail to realize that these rules that are being passed are affect the entire country. So thankfully, because we are a practice that has a significant amount of multi-state clients, we have to stay in tune with what's going on in all these states. When you see the stuff that's happening on the West Coast and on the East Coast, we have clients in New York, we have clients in California those economies have not even come close to opening back up. And we're talking about businesses that are located in Oklahoma, businesses that may be domiciled in New York that have an, an operation up there that have been shut down for seven months. I mean, and they, they don't have the money to keep it going. I was gonna say that's so, gotta be a big impact on, on what they're trying to do, trying to stay alive, right? Yeah, that's why economically, we won't feel the effects of this till next summer. Yeah. I'm convinced. Yeah. I mean, next summer is when this is going to really come down on us here in Oklahoma. As long as we're riding along at $40, sub, sub $40 oil, I mean, it's, 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 becoming, it's becoming critical here from that aspect. Thankfully, you know, Oklahoma has, has, has modernized in a lot of ways, and we do have a number of other industries that are successful here. Yeah, and I think we're trying to attract some people from other states to come in here and, and grow, and I, I hope it continues. Well, Chuck, this has been great. Um, I think you shared some things that we've all been kind of wondering. We're coming to the end of the show, and so I have one last question for you, kind of put you on the hot seat a little bit. You know, you've been doing this a long time. You've worked with business owners uh, in the different roles that you do for so long. What is it that business owners met, are missing when you think of like one thing as you give counsel to business owners, is there something that sticks out in your mind that, that you would share as we wrap up today's program? You own it in the good times and you own it in the bad times. I mean, it's, it's, it's a deal where I've, I've got a number of businesses that are facing something, a number of business owners that, to be quite honest with you, 
this is the most critical thing that they've ever had happen to their business. And I've seen some of them that have flourished through it. And I've seen some of them that have failed through it. I would say that remember why you became a business owner, make the right decisions. One thing that this has done is this has absolutely cemented the advice that I give all my business owners. You always recession proof your business. Always. And just because you made 5 million bucks last year doesn't mean you're going to make 5 million bucks every year. And it certainly doesn't mean you're going to go from 5 to 10 to 15 to 20. Recession proof. In other words, as a business owner, what I try to tell my business owners, you don't just have a responsibility to you, your board of directors, your other shareholders, your officers. You have a responsibility to everyone in your company to do the right stuff, to do the right thing and to protect your business against things like this. So, so that would be the first thing. I think the second thing I would say is, I would tell you that, remember, you win the tax game with controlling your income. Let, let me clarify this, okay? A lot of people come to me, and they, especially this time of year, their only response is, or, or I have new clients that come to me, and the answer is this, buy a new car. That's it. Just go buy, you need a new car, go buy a new car. You know, and, and I mean, and it's like, okay, well, your $40,000 tax bill, when you bought that $40,000 car, just became $24,000. So now you're at 64 instead of 40. One, don't let the tax tail wag the financial dog. In the end, the financial dog, anytime somebody asks me, you think I should buy a new car? I, what's my first question? You had this happen. And my question was, do you need a new car? Right. I mean, that's, that's the first thing, the financial decision first. Okay. The, the second thing I would tell you is, is that you win the game by controlling your income. So I have a number of people that'll come into me and, and they, they come in and let's say that they are a high profile surgeon and I look at their return and they've got a million dollars sitting on their W2 and nothing else. There's no other income. I can't control his income except by doing as many pre-tax deferrals as I possibly can through a third party, which is his employer, right? Right. A business owner, I can control your income. I can turn a million dollars in gross revenue and I can turn it down making smart decisions that help invest in your business going forward. So the game is controlling income, not controlling deduction. So a lot of times we talk about above the line and below the line. Do you understand that term? Sure. Why don't you share it with the line? Yeah. The line is AGI. So deductions in determining gross income are much more favorable than deductions after gross income. Itemized deductions like charitable contributions, mortgage interest, and stuff like this. You know? So so we help our clients that have the ability to control their income to control their income. The guy that makes a million dollars on a W two and has nothing else, his income is one hundred percent dictated to him. He has no control over it. He works, he gets paid for it by a third party, an employer pays him. But the business owners, those are the ones that need to stay plugged into their advisors because their advisors are the ones that can turn that million dollars into a half million dollars of gross income by targeting smart ways to spend that 500000 And as business owners, we know or we want to invest a dollar and get a $3 return off of it. Sure. Yep. And that $3 return repeats. So now is a great time. And if we go into a, a higher tax jurisdiction, that's when businesses need to be investing in their business. So 
thankfully, a number of my business owners have been smart. They recession-proofed their companies. They survived 2020, and they have money that we've been setting aside to invest when tax rates go back up because we knew that when tax rates go down, there's only one place for them to go up, and that's back up. So we've been, you know, small business owners, one, you own it in the good times and the bad times. Make sure you recession-proof it. If this didn't teach you a lesson, in, in other words, owners that weren't there in 08, 09, you know, new business owners that have caught lightning in a bottle, started their business in 2012 because they were part of the 08, 09 crash. They started their own business. They're smart, talented people, and boom, that took off like wildfire, and they, they're producing seven, eight-figure incomes right now, and now this happened, and they've seen that retraction. Well, now they're learning. So they didn't have the opportunity to learn in 08, 09. Now we've got 2020. Personally, I'm just going to tell you, I'm ready for this to just, I'm, I, I know it's serious. I'm ready for it, for us to get back to work here in America. I'm ready for, for the economy to come back. Right. Re- regardless of who's president, who's in Congress, I don't care. We, we're missing out on this. So I think that I can confidently say that 100% of my business owners feel the exact same way. I, I agree with you. I, I think we're all, you know, we learn through times like this and, and I love what you're saying because it's, that's a principle that, that we've adhered to for a long time with making sure we're putting money back and, and we can recession proof ourselves for different things. And some of us that, that didn't do that are, are learning, right? And unfortunately, some aren't going to make it, but it, it's a great lesson and I appreciate you sharing that. Chuck, if somebody wants to learn more about your firm, uh, contact you, how do they, how do, they do that? So, our website is out there, wedellrayhill.com, uh, W-E-D-E-L-R-A-H-I-L-L.com. Uh, that's a website for us. You know, we're, we're obviously we're on the, on the social media under our at Waddell Ray Hill, um, both Facebook and Twitter. A lot of what we send out through there is primarily just basic personal financial planning stuff. Every once in a while, we'll throw out something that's business uh, related, but the best thing about it is, is like I said, we, we are an active accounting firm. We, we're, we, we're, we're constantly in front of and engaging our clients. And if anybody wants to contact us, give us a call. Let's see if we can, if we can make a match. Thanks, Chuck. As always, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to share your wisdom and be on our show today. So guys, again, you've been listening to another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. You know, again, check out our website, www.epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. You'll catch the show notes, uh, other podcasts, and you can you can replay this this episode as many times as you want. That's epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. And be sure to email me. If you like this show, let us know. Give us a five-star rating if you're on iTunes. Subscribe to our future shows. But send me an email at rick at epicsbiz.com. Let me know what you liked. Let me know if there's anything you want to learn more about so we can bring that to you. If we take a question from you and use it on the show, we'll send you out a little a little gift, a little way to say thank you. So be sure to check it out. Until next time, remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, 
We're only getting started.